My guest in this episode has been the brand, marketing and communications leader for global engineering firm Oricon since 2009. Prior to this, she was the Oceana Marketing Director for Big Four Accounting and Consulting Firm EY, where she was for seven years. And prior to that, she held several senior marketing roles for law firms in Australia. She's worked in Brisbane, Sydney, and now Melbourne. And earlier on in her career, she worked in London. In her spare time, she's the immediate past chair of the executive board for the International Association of Business Communicators. Fittingly, her name is Bond, Danielle Bond and we are about to uncover the trade secrets to her success. Let's dive in. Welcome to the podcast, Danielle. Thank you very much. I like that intro, Graham. Good, Bond, good. Danielle Bond, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, staying with the James Bond reference, did you know that in the movie Thunderball, there is a line where he is asked, what exactly do you do? And he replies, oh, I travel. I'm a sort of licensed troubleshooter. So how does that resonate with your own career? <laughs> I don't do as much travel or as much troubleshooting as James Bond, but not a bad analogy. You know, I do think it when people ask you, what do you do? If you reflect on your daily tasks, it doesn't necessarily point to a series of products. It's more time spent talking with people, um, influencing people. Yeah. So making plans, making plans, putting out fires. That's it. Now, I like to start these interviews by going right back to the beginning. Um, And with you, that would be the degree that you studied in 1983, which was a Bachelor of Arts, Political Science, Journalism and History. So why did you choose that degree? Thank you for letting everybody know that I have been around for some decades, Graham. (laughs) But look, I was going to be a lawyer, but I had a fallback position, which was to do a Bachelor of Arts degree. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I had an older brother who was studying uh, commerce law at the time, a few years ahead of me. And I thought, well, I'll do arts law. And I swiftly discovered, it did take me a few years, that the things that I enjoyed most were, in fact, the humanities. And I remember this very clearly, sitting in the taxation law subject in a very large auditorium at the University of Queensland, um, was a moment of uh, revelation that, indeed, this was not the career path for me, uh, that I, I couldn't think of anything worse than mastering this detail uh, and so that was the the change for me. And it was very ironic that later in my career as a marketing professional, I ended up working in law. And then when I was at EY, I was doing tax marketing. So there are stories within stories, Graham, but mm. I've never rued the day that I recognised I was not made to be a solicitor. <laughs> Before you entered the career of professional services, you had a different career, which was in arts and entertainment. So share that with us. So I think this was started as a personal passion, which was I loved and still do love visual arts and performing arts and creative people. And I always found myself attracted to those people, you know, both in my, you know, in my my childhood at school uh, and then at university where you have lots of opportunities to get involved in lots of different things. And so, you know, I got involved in working in theatre. I got involved in working in community radio. And for me, 
there was something vibrant about the people that are attracted to those industries. And so when I had the chance to do some postgraduate study as a young person and and very grateful for my my father who was working for an international development organisation and they paid for you, their children to do some study. My dad said to me when I think he saw me doing too much work at this rat bag community radio station. You know, have you ever thought about studying overseas, Danielle? You know, we'd we'd be happy to support you. (laughs) Get out. Get out of that gig that you're doing, young woman. And so I ended up the brilliant experience of going to the United Kingdom and studying at the City University in London. And I did arts administration. So that was studying how to be a professional supporting arts organisations. Did you never want to be an artist yourself in in any guise? No, not really. I mean, I don't don't have the the skills, I don't believe, to exercise a career in that space, but I was always intrigued by people that could do it and I admire what they do and I'd always like to live in a world where that is celebrated so yeah. um yeah. yeah so what's interesting is that you went to the UK you studied arts administration but you then entered the world of professional services when you moved back to Australia so you went from the theatrics of arts marketing to the drama of law firms you know why did you <laughs> do that yeah well there's something that working with actors was a very good grounding for working with litigation lawyers there was something mercurial about both professions Uh, and so when I was working in theatre I worked with a lot of actors and you know very talented people and and you know challenging at times to work with so lawyers was an interesting mix you know Graham it was essentially a recognition by me when I came back to Australia that there weren't that many jobs in the arts in in Australia at the time a small market um, and people you know doing wonderful work but there just wasn't a lot of room for me and the economic driver of having a paid job overtook that and I remember speaking to my brother you know the one that also did law and had gone has gone on to be a a barrister and a judge said to me you know it's really interesting what law firms are doing these days Danielle and there's this job going at this Brisbane law firm for a marketer and I think you should consider it because I can see from where he was sitting as a barrister, that they need and are thinking about their brand, their reputation and how they engage in their marketplace. So thank you, Bondi, my brother, for that wise advice because that was the start of my career, professional career outside of the arts. And having come from, you know, London, you, you worked for the East End Festival, you, were, you, you studied arts um, administration you then come back to Australia and you're working in a corporate law firm was there ever a moment at the beginning of that journey where you thought why am I here this is not what I planned for myself yes several moments and I always in those early days I, I remained connected to my arts community and I served on a couple of boards of not-for-profit arts groups and um, I still have an interest in it But I could also see an opportunity perhaps to direct some of the work that I was doing to that sector later in my career and stay connected. But, uh, you know, look, what is it they talk about choices that you make? It would have been interesting to see if I'd gone left instead of right, but Mm -hmm. I didn't and I don't regret anything. But 
I just didn't make that choice. You said earlier that, um, you know, working with actors gave you a good grounding for working with lawyers. Let's talk about that a little bit more, because I'm interested in the skills that you brought to the law firm. What do you think actually gave you credibility early on and what actually also gave you the creativity that was required by them to, to, you know, to raise their profile, raise their brand? What did you bring to them that your previous experience would have assisted with? What a good question, and I've never really reflected on it, but if I if I take a moment, here's what I think. I think if you're there as a marketer working in a theatre company trying to sell tickets for people to come along and see a show, you recognise that actors as performers are very vulnerable and they've got a tough gig to do and to work with them, you're asking them as a marketer, as a publicist, to do PR, to have their photo taken, to do media interviews. Uh, and they're still in the midst, as it happens in, in the way theatre works, they're still in rehearsals, they're still figuring out their character, but they are required as part of their job to also help us sell tickets. So that's working with actors and they're smart and they're creative and they have presence. Uh, working with lawyers are smart, creative and have presence and I think to be a successful comms advisor, marketer to that community, you do need to understand the challenges of their day job. So you need to put yourself in their shoes and recognise that what you might want them to do to help build the brand for the organisation, to position the organisation to win work, is not their top three mm-hmm. to-dos. Mm-hmm. So I guess empathy and also <laughs> You know, you just learn that the two things that go well with those two particular roles is, you know, I had to hone my engagement skills as well. So I had to have presence and personality and engage Mm. uh, because they respond to that. I'm taking a deep dive here to reflect on this. It's a great analogy that lawyers are like actors and that the job of a marketer is to sell tickets. I like its simplicity. What I also find interesting is how she recognises that as a marketer, she too needs to have presence and personality and be engaging. These are all skills to hone if you want to be successful in these types of jobs. Let's return to the interview. Reflecting back on that that time in the legal profession when marketing was relatively new and usually sort of manifested itself in things like events or brochures or publications and things like that. Now, fast forward to your role as, as global sort of CMO at Oricon. Are there any of the marketing initiatives that you still rely on or any of the sort of marketing tropes that we would remember from the early sort of law firm marketing days that you're still using today? I think content and thought leadership and thinking have remained true Mm -hmm. and must do in anybody in professional services where what we are selling is the IP, the brains of our professionals. And so, you know, for a professional services business, you have to have a point of view. You have to be somebody that your clients would trust for advice and expertise and share insights and bring ideas that will help them with their organisation. And so that is true of accountants, tax advisors, lawyers, engineers, designers. So that has not gone away. And I was very lucky, I think, actually, to work with lawyers at the start because, you know, lawyers do have 
excellent written communication skills and the ability to distill complex ideas mm. in a way that has helped me in my career. Mm. Uh, and, yeah, so that hasn't gone away. Some of the tactics might shift and, you know, morph. Uh, I think brand is probably better understood by me and I think better understood by business in early days, you know, what was what is brand? I don't know what that means. It was a logo, and, if you remember. Yeah. <laughs> and and you know, there's something in law firms have very long names, right? So it's yeah. the it's the, the brand is associated with the individual. Mm. Um there wouldn't be many uh law firms that have adopted a brand name like my company's Oricon, which doesn't relate to anybody's surname. Mm. But that's evolved as well. But I suspect the legal profession still holds on to that a little bit more. Mm. Now, you left the, the legal profession to take a role with Ernst & Young in 2002 to head up their marketing team for tax. In fact, your job title at the time was tax marketing director, which must have been quite a fun thing to share with people at parties. What was that job? <laughs> so I, it was interesting. I was really wanted to work for Ernst & Young and I had friends, but I'd built through my network in Sydney relationships with people that were there. And I knew that I needed to learn more about marketing than I could learn on my own, even with a small team in a law firm. And so, you know, the big four firms are even more so today, significant businesses where they uh, I knew I would be working alongside locally and internationally some really smart people and I would learn a lot. So I absolutely went after that. And it could have been tax, it could have been audit, it could have been risk. I would have taken the job, Graham, mm -hmm. uh, because my goal was to work for Ernst & Young. And tax, yeah, look, I didn't understand tax, of course. I probably still don't. Uh, but I did have a very smart tax partner just explained to me the core value proposition, uh, which was that it's greed or fear. The way you, you sell tax is understanding people's desire to optimise income or organisation's desire and also to fear to manage the risk associated with tax and protect the enterprise. Mm -hmm. So that's all I needed to know really and um, that's probably all I ever learned <laughs> with that detail. Uh, but I learned a lot about business. Now, tax is one of the only real service lines that is campaign driven because of the fact that, for those who don't know, for that, that every year there is a budget. And at that point, um, all of the big four used to and probably still do, in fact, they still do, um, release their um, assessment of the budget. And so I'm curious to know, um, coming from law firms that are not weren't at that time very campaign driven, did that surprise you? And what was it like at that point of the year when the budget was released? How full on was that? It was totally full on. Um... I think, you know, it's interesting. I think that's where the big four have been smart. To the, the law firms would respond to a piece of legislation and their job would be to communicate uh, the new law, what it means, what you would need to do. And, and look, so too does tax. But they also, um, within the context of the broader business environment, would be looking at things like the budget, uh, the financial reporting season and environment, all of the things that a business would need to do in its BAU kind of day-to-day -day running of their ops and positioned 
a big four firm or tax advisor well as an as a commentator. So it was big. We did do all nights and I think we perfected how to do that more effectively and efficiently. I would say today that I think the media coverage of budget is more than enough in a way. Perhaps the big four turned the media enterprises onto the fact that this was a big deal for business and it would give them an opportunity to communicate more directly with their readers around implications. But there's certainly today, my read from where I sit, not in an accounting firm, is I don't don't actually need to see or read what the accounting firms are commentating on. I'm more interested, I can get across enough of it mm. in the media coverage. Did you have to be interested in the subject matter to be a good marketer? I think you have to be interested in business in that context, right? You have to understand how businesses run and what are the things that they seek to manage to drive their strategy and performance. Do you need to be interested in international tax? Do you need to understand transfer pricing? I produced three transfer pricing reports. Please, anybody at EY, forgive me for what I'm about to say. I didn't really understand what it, I still don't understand what it means, but I was able to, you know, structure yeah. how we communicated in a way that helped our, our audience understand the change. And yeah. I rely on really smart people to guide me. So I don't have to be the technical professional. They're the ones I work with. You said that you really wanted to work for, for EY and you would have taken any job, any subject matter job there, marketing job there. After only a few years, you, you sort of got the top job, um, you know, running marketing for the Oceana region. Um, let's just pause. I'm interested. How did you feel when you got that job? Well, I wanted that job, Graham, as well, right? So I was, I was it was a great um, honour to get the gig, but I also wanted to be able to have a broader impact. Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't a spring chicken when I got that gig. I was, I don't remember how old I was, but I wasn't in my 20s. I was well into my 30s and I'd worked for a number of years and and I had a perspective on how to do brand marketing and communications in this environment well and I wanted the opportunity to not just be in a narrow vertical but to influence more broadly and so I was fortunate to be at the time I had a a, the person that was leading the function was really generous you know giving me an opportunity to play outside of my stream and I had an idea for a project and a program that would work across the business and he was a good leader and said, go for it. Mm-hmm. And so I did. And, um, you know, I think if I reflect in, in, on my career, I'm always grateful for the people that I've reported into, uh, who have been generous. And I hope that that's the experience I offer my staff, but, you know, you need somebody to say, I want you to do this job well, but when somebody says to you, well, I'd like to, I will do that well, but I really think I have, something more to offer can you give me a go I really hope everyone says yes to that question were there any moments of doubt taking that job or for for any job actually have you ever had a moment of doubt in your career where you've just felt that perhaps you don't know enough or you might not be good enough or you know that sort of imposter syndrome that we hear so much yes yes still I mean loads 
I didn't know how to lead a team of 65 people, which was the size of the team at EY. Mm. Uh, I knew how to lead a small, I knew how to be individually capable mm. and then I knew how to lead a small team. And I suspect that that transition from leading a small team to a large team was pretty difficult for everybody concerned because it's hard. Mm. You know, you go from being able to do the job yourself to helping others do a small bit of the job to then leading and having to motivate and lead broader teams. So I learned uh, on the job and it was it was tough, but I had good guidance and feedback and a great team. Uh, I know more now than I did then, uh, but you're always on the that path of am I making good choices? Am I, you know, investing in my team to help them step up and grow? Am I listening to my stakeholders? Imposter syndrome I think it's just a good sense of self-awareness, right? Recognise mm. recognize that you know a bit, but you don't know everything and mm. surround yourself with good friends and mentors and advisors. You've been one of those to me, Graham. Thanks. You know, have good people around you that you can go, oh, I don't know how well this is going. I need your help. Um, yeah, but that's okay. I'm okay with imposter syndrome. Being okay with imposter syndrome, it's a great reframe. We so often see and feel it as a negative experience, but essentially she's right when she says that we don't know everything and the skill in these jobs is surrounding yourself with good people and those who know more than you do about certain things. We heard similar from Lisa Marie Sickund in our first interview of this series, where she talked about making sure she has subject matter experts in her team. The key is self-awareness and in being able to talk about it in a factual way, i.e. I don't know the answer, rather than I should know the answer, because actually nobody expects everybody to know it all. Let's go back to hear more words of wisdom. What advice would you give to people stepping into their first large team leadership role? Because you manage a team of 65 over four jurisdictions in different time zones. Um, and this was a time before, you know, Zoom technology and all of those sorts of things that we've come to, to love and loathe over the last few years. So, so what advice would you give somebody to managing a large disparate team? What's important? So um, I think two things. One, I would say around strategy and one around people. Mm-hmm. So strategy is you really do need to have a view, an informed view of what you need, what's important to be done, right? What What is your job to do? What will help the enterprise? Um, and stay focused on that. And then make sure that your team are focused on that. And I did quite a few exercises. It's terribly detailed, but I found it hugely valuable. If this is the job to be done, these five things, and I might I did this exercise at Ernst & Young. I've done it in my current role on several occasions. This is the job to be done. Where's your team spending their time? And is there an alignment or a misalignment? So you've got to understand whether you're setting yourself and your team up for success or not. Because it's, if there's not alignment, then you won't be successful. The second thing is just a people piece, which is you have to get to know your leadership team. You have to get to know your people. You have to understand what motivates them, how to help them be successful. Uh, and and then I guess as a as a byproduct of all of that, 
you need to have a process and a system in place to lead mm. and, and run the, the processes of being a brand marketing and comms team. And none of it ever comes delivered to you on a plate. I don't, in any job I've ever been into, it's not been as simple as just picking that up. So I don't know whether that answers your question, Graham. It's not any, it's, it's yeah, you got to, you just got to spend some time figuring it out. I think you've got to be interested in people. Yeah, totally, right? <laughs> totally. Internal stakeholders, external clients, the people in your team. I mean, it's the fun stuff, isn't it? Yeah. Finding out about people. I love that. So here you are, you've got the job that you want is. Um, you're working for one of the biggest brands in the world in one of the most beautiful cities in the world which was Sydney at that time and then you decided to take a role with Oricon a relatively unknown brand with little or no marketing function in Melbourne that was a risk okay that was a risk I think why did you take that risk well I had itchy feet truthfully I was I grew up in Brisbane I moved to Sydney I was enjoying life in Sydney with my partner but we were like ready to do something different to at a a personal level to just have a change of life and where would that be and it was the GFC and you know I had hoped to perhaps move to Europe but that didn't work out because of the GFC, thank you. Uh, but I still recognised that I needed to do something to shake up, shake things up. So number one, it was I wanted to make a move and Melbourne is a beautiful city and I hadn't spent a lot of time there, but I'd spent some time there and I knew quite a few people. And then the second thing was just about having the opportunity to lead a brand So one of the great things about a big four is the opportunity to learn and be part of an amazing organisation. Perhaps one of the downsides as a marketer was you are inheriting brand decisions uh, set out of New York or London. And I was fortunate to be on the brand council globally, but I really wanted the chance to shape an organization's approach to brand marketing and communication. So at EY, I did not, I had branded marketing. I didn't have comms Mm -hmm. at Oricon. I had the opportunity to weave those together, which I felt professionally was really critical to be successful in these types of businesses. And I had the opportunity to work with the people function, which I thought was all important in a professional services business. Mm -hmm. So personal and opportunity to do good work and you went from uh, working for an organization that had a very large well-served team of marketing communicators brand people to go somewhere that had very limited infrastructure how did that impact your day-to-day in the early days there Firstly, I I was excited because I was working with a whole new group of people and had conversations about facades and transportation systems and energy systems and things I just knew nothing about, but I found fascinating. And as just an aside, my father and grandfather were engineers. (laughs) So I felt like this was a personal journey to actually understand what they did because I'd never really understood. So that was exciting. Then looking at where the organisation was at 
where its brand was at and it was a really new brand. I joined six weeks after this brand was created um, because it was a three-way merger and all I had was this visual identity guideline. And I'm like, okay. So it was challenging but fun, you know. I just liked the challenge of figuring it out. And I had some really good people in the team but they weren't integrated they didn't have a mission around what their purpose was. Uh, so it's look, I've been there for 13 years, Graham. So it's been quite the journey. And I've loved so much of it. And uh, but yeah, somebody whoever comes after me will have inherit something that is a well-shaped and formed uh, team and strategy. So that'll be fun for them. But I dare say they'll want to do something different with it too, which is good. <laughs> Now, Which is good, right? Yeah, it's of course, absolutely. Uh, marketing has changed so dramatically from the time that you joined your first law firm to what you now do with Oricon. I, I'm just, I'm interested. How do you personally keep up with it all? Like, how do you keep up with the latest trends in marketing? I think that's just hugely um, down to a commitment to lifelong learning. I mean, you've got to be interested in this stuff. If you, if, if you don't like your craft or aren't engaged with your craft, I think it would be really hard to stay with it. I can see some of my peers have moved into different functions and done amazing things and leading um, and, you know, in different executive roles and I, I applaud them. I've always stayed with brand marketing and comms because that's the craft I particularly enjoy. So it's not hard for me to want to know what's going on in the space. Social media has made it easier. Uh, I'm a member of a professional association, IABC, that's been powerful for me to stay connected to and learn from people who are much better at the craft of business communication than I am. So they've helped me get better. Staying connected to marketing has been a little bit more challenging, I think, but I do. And I, I just feel, I do feel like that whole the transition to account-based marketing, to MarTech, to doing it in this hybrid way of working presents a lot of a lot of opportunity for marketers and I I hire smart people who and young people who just bring a completely different perspective mm. and let them have a go at it because mm. I'll learn more from them than they will from me. This sentiment of CMOs learning from younger members in their team was also echoed by Heather Vagdama in our previous episode. It's a really good reminder to those of you at the start of your career to speak up and share your ideas because they want to hear them. You talk about lifelong learning and I know that looking at your CV, one of the things that you've always done is be a member of an industry-based association. You've either been on committees or you've joined boards and in fact you're currently the past immediate chair of the International Association of Business Communicators, um, which is an amazing um, association of thousands of communicators all over the world. Why have you spent your spare time in your career working with trade associations like what what has it brought you and would you recommend that other people do the same sort of investment I would recommend people connect to a professional association Uh, for me it's been a way of building a network locally so when I moved from Brisbane to Sydney I didn't know anybody Um, I connected with people doing the job that I was doing 
uh, fellow travellers and and uh, people that could uh, I could learn from and um, enjoy the company of through the Professional Services Marketing Association. So that worked. And then when I moved to Melbourne, again, I didn't have a network and I knew of IABC, so I joined that because I knew it would connect me. So that was kind of those decisions. And then getting involved is, I I guess I'm just a joiner. Like I feel like if you want to have an impact in business and perhaps you know, beyond your profession, like I'm passionate about the power of great marketing and communications to help organisations achieve their goals. So I'd like to see more and more professionals understand that great career path, understand and learn from people who do it well. So if that's what you enjoy and I do, then the way you can have an impact beyond your immediate organisation is to get involved in other organisations. Now, our previous guest, um, Heather Vagdama, who's the CMO of Walkers, she has sent you her favourite interview question. Um, oh, good. This is something we do on Deep Sea Diving, is we ask you to give us a question, we pass it to the next one. So her question was, can you describe a situation where you took the initiative to accomplish a goal? But I'm going to tweak it slightly for you, and I'm going to ask you, what is the best marketing initiative that you have developed that achieved its goal and why does this stand out for you? So what a good question. I think that the very best thing I did when I joined Oricon was to, when I was working with the the HR team and the recruitment team, talking about the employer brand strategy was to look at this new platform called LinkedIn. And I looked at it and went, this is a game changer for our organisation, not just you for your recruitment goals, but me for my brand goals. And so I think the best thing that I did was to recognise early, you know, we're talking really early. When I I joined in 2009, we cottoned on to it in 2010. So LinkedIn is so pervasive today, but believe me, it wasn't that pervasive then. So I saw its potential and I figured out working in partnership a way for us to just dive in and I think the best thing that I learned out of that experience was having come from another organization that had looked at doing social media I think in those days it was Facebook uh, where we you know that firm had commissioned a study and we paid a lot of money to have someone and I said you know what let's just dive in and have a go so I remember that first meeting and the outputs of that meeting was what's our next step and I said I think our next step is to build, open a page and to populate it and to launch it. Let's just do it and we'll learn. And we really did. And uh, that was fun and has been fun and has been a powerful tool for us from a brand perspective. So I'm proud of that, Graham. And that was Heather's favourite interview question. What's your favourite interview question? I like to ask people about, to try and get a bit of a perspective of who they are and how they are see themselves and perhaps how others might see them, I ask them, "How would your boss describe you? How would your what what do your coworkers say about you? And anybody that reports into you either directly or who might work with you on a project, what would they say about you?" 
Do you know that's hilarious because that's my favorite interview question and I asked the first guest that can you believe that you haven't even heard I might could I have stolen it from you Graham Sheldon I think possibly I could have <laughs> well it's very but it's, now, a, it's so insightful though right it is such a good question it is now on that note my final question for you what would you say now to the Danielle Bond of 1988 who took her first job in professional services what advice would you give her I think I might give her the advice of be a little bit more motivated to listen. You know, I suspect that I was, I know I was pretty opinionated. Probably ask more questions and learn a little bit more about the people I was seeking to advise would be some advice. And then, so that's on the things you could have done better, Danielle. And then the the other advice I'd probably give me was don't worry so much about getting it right. You know, it's okay to fail. In fact, you learn some of your best lessons from failure. You said that one of the things that you would say to your younger self would, would be to be motivated to listen. And I think that a lot of people listening to this will be highly motivated. So thank you so much for coming onto the podcast. It's been really lovely to see you and hear you. Thank you, Graham. Pleasure.